That was kind of nice. We had a Christmas song and an Easter song in the same set. Galatians chapter 3 tonight, we're going to pick up where we left off last time. Verse 26 of Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to push forward into chapter 4 this evening. Page, I didn't write it down. 1,338? Okay. 39. Love to have you read along with us. Lord, your word is alive and active, never returns void. And I'm so blessed by all the reminders in your word of how good you have been to us and are to us every day and will be for all of eternity. The salvation that you have made possible. Bless this time, I pray. Open our understanding to your word. Help us see all that you've done. May that impact us day by day. In Jesus' name, amen. So I believe there are basically two approaches to God, two approaches to getting right with God. There's the law approach. In the law approach, it's all about what you do, your human effort. In order to get right with God, in order to be saved, in order to get to heaven, all you have to do is keep this law. You have to impress God with all of your good works. You have to show what a better person you are. That law approach is basically the man-made approach that has been most common through all of history. All religions work that way. From the Jew trying to keep the law of Moses to the Muslim trying to keep the Koran the Hindu, to the Buddhist, the Mormon, the Jehovah Witness, to unfortunately some Christian denominations with all their rituals and regulations. Do this religion and you'll be saved. Well, that approach in all of its shapes and forms is futile. It's empty. It won't work. There's no way you can get right with God because the one true living God is perfect. He's holy. He's without sin. His standards are perfection. And try as hard as you want, climb that ladder as much as you want, you will fall short from his standards. The law approach doesn't work. The second approach is the grace approach. In the grace approach, you fall on your face before God, you surrender, you recognize that you're a sinner that you could never, ever be good enough, that you fall short. You recognize that you can only be dependent upon God for salvation. And in humility, you cry out to God for grace and mercy. And you find that God is a gracious God. At great cost, He provided the solution by which we can be saved. He sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins and rise again. And when you put your faith and your trust in him in humility, you're saved. You get right with God. The grace approach. That's the approach that works. Now, Paul wrote the book of Galatians because some false teachers had come into the churches in Galatia trying to preach the law approach. And Paul writes this whole letter to say, no, it's not the law. It's the grace approach. You get saved through faith alone. And when you do place your faith in Jesus Christ for for real, miracles take place. The amazing work of God is accomplished. Notice what Paul says 
in our text tonight, beginning in verse 26, what faith in Christ does for you. Look, Paul writes, for you are all sons of God through what? You are all sons of God through what? Faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So the operative word in that whole passage is faith in Christ. If you have placed your faith in Christ, then all this is yours. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then you are a son of God. You become a daughter, a son in the family of God. You become rightly related to God. God has become your heavenly father. Faith in Jesus Christ alone is your end. Into the family of God where you are a son or daughter in his family. Not by works. Not by keeping a law. By putting faith in Jesus Christ. And by the way, Paul says it here. It's all over the New Testament. John chapter 1 verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who what? Believe in his name. When you place your faith in Christ, the moment you do that, you become a son or daughter in his family. Now think about it. You are a child of God. John says elsewhere, behold the manner of love that has been lavished upon us. That we could be called children of God. How do you become a child of God? By doing works? No. By dropping, surrendering, placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Notice verse 27. It says, for as many as you were baptized into Christ. That's another thing that happens to you the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ. When you do that... At that very moment, you are baptized into Christ. Baptism, immersion, being submerged. The idea is the moment you place your faith in Christ Jesus, you are submerged into Christ. You are joined to Christ. You are identified with Jesus Christ permanently. Paul goes on to clarify and talk more about what that means in Romans 6. He says, do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. So the moment you give your life to Jesus Christ, you're joined, you're baptized to Jesus, and you're identified with him in his death and burial. The old sinful you joined to Christ... And you die with Christ. You're also joined to Christ, identified with him in his resurrection. So this happens spiritually. This changes your position before God. You place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The old you dies and a brand new you rises. Through faith in Jesus Christ. Now careful here. Paul is not speaking of water baptism. He is not saying that you need to be baptized in water in order to be saved. Listen, the act of water baptism won't save you any more than getting circumcised will. Or doing anything else required by any law or religion. 
It's faith in Jesus Christ alone. Now, are we called to be baptized in waters as Christians? Yes, but it is a public proclamation. It's where you stand in solidarity with the church and say, I'm a Christian. I have become a member of the church. And the the act of water baptism perfectly fits what happens to you spiritually when you receive Christ. As you go under the water, the old you is dying. As you come up out of the water, you're becoming alive in Christ. And you... Show that when you're being baptized in water. You know, I heard a story about some soldiers in Iraq way back. I think it was the desert storm. And they're out in the middle of the desert, and the chaplain there was preaching. And several of the soldiers became Christians. They placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. And they wanted to be baptized. Well, they're in a desert. Where are they going to get some water? Well, they put some plastic sheeting in a coffin, filled the coffin with water. Imagine this, laying down in a coffin. And as you go back under the water, you're being laid into a coffin. And then you come out of the coffin. We're going to start baptizing people like that here. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) What a picture, though. What a picture. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you're identified with him. Are you joined to Christ in his death and resurrection because you eat a kosher diet? Because you keep a Sabbath law? Because you avoid picking up certain things on the Sabbath day? No, that happens the moment You place your faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 27 says, as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. The moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you put on Christ. The idea is you become covered in Christ. Your life becomes hidden in Christ. The Bible also puts it this way. The moment you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the righteousness of Christ covers you. You're clothed in his righteousness. There's a verse that I put up a lot. I think it's one of the most important verses in the whole Bible. For he, the Father, made him Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Think of that transaction. When you put your faith, when you bow, when you say, I'm relying upon you. Your sin gets transferred to Jesus. Who dies for you in your place. And his righteousness gets transferred to you. So that in the eyes of God, you are in Christ. So when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're covered in Christ. God no longer sees you as the old sinful you. He sees Christ his son. He sees the righteousness of Christ upon you. What glory. That's yours. Again, that didn't happen by works. It happens by faith. Verse 29, Paul says, if you're Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you become spiritually related to that guy, Abraham. You become his spiritual seed. And you share in the promise to Abraham. Now we've talked about this several times, and Paul's mentioned it a few times in Galatians. Abraham is the prototype prototype on how people get saved. 
How did Abraham get saved? By keeping a law? No, he lived 430 years before there was a Moses. Or there was a law. Genesis chapter 15 says, Abraham believed in the Lord. And he, God, accounted to him righteousness. Through faith alone. Abraham was accounted righteous. Another word for that is he was justified. He was declared righteous. And all who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ share in that blessing. That goes all the way back 4,000 years ago to when Abraham lived and died. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are declared righteous. It's like you go into the courtroom of heaven. God is your judge. You've placed your faith and trust in him and he declares you righteous. Now, if you go to the courtroom of heaven with your own resume... Hey, God, look what I've done. I've gone to church every Christmas and Easter for several years. I helped that little old lady across the road when I was in Boy Scouts. If you come with all of your little list based on your own works, you will be condemned. But when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're declared righteous. You're covered in the righteousness of Christ. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. And by the way, it's neat as Christians living in 2022 to think that we might somehow be related back 4,000 years to this guy named Abraham, listen, if you put your faith in Christ, you have found a place in the unfolding purpose of God. We're spiritual seed of Abraham, a part of God's plan spanning all of human history through faith. Not by works, not by keeping a law. By faith in what God did for you in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For if you are all, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you've been placed into this beautiful family, this special family, where everyone's equal. You become a member of the church. All distinctions based on race or rank or sex have been completely removed. If you're a member of the church, you are a member of a very special group of people who are all equal in Christ Jesus. There's no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no Hispanic, there's no Asian. There's no billionaire. There's no poor homeless guy. There's no different economic class. There's no male. There's no female. Everyone in the body of Christ is absolutely equal because everyone gets in the same way. And everyone has all of the blessing equally. It's a beautiful community to think about. Now, this doesn't mean that the distinctions like that don't exist anymore. They do. We're men. We're women. We have different races. We do have different economics and all those things. Those things are still there. It's just that in the community of God, they don't matter. And nor should they matter to us. We should love each one uniquely, individually. 
You know, the, the Jewish rabbis, the males, they, they, were, they could be very ugly. Even Paul, before he came to Christ, probably prayed this prayer every morning. Thank you, God, that you've not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. <laughs> they would pray that. Now, Paul here writes, there's no slave. There's no Gentile, there's no Greek, there's no male, there's no female. You know, here in this world, we like to compare. We like to evaluate each other and size each other up. How much money do you make? Well, I make this much. How much money? How many people work for you? Well, you know what? God doesn't care. Those things don't matter one bit. We're all one. Because we all come into the body of Christ the same way. And that would be through faith. Can you imagine if you could get into this exclusive family by working hard? By being religious enough? By giving enough money? What would we be like? We'd be competing with one another. We'd be comparing with one another. I I got this, I gave this much. How much did you give? I did this for God. What did you do? Listen, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should what? I just think it's beautiful to know that when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, You are joined to a group of people that all have as much blessing as you can possibly have. It's beautiful. Not by works, but by faith. Falling on your face before God, acknowledging your need, placing your faith and trust in him. Oh, we have so good through faith in Jesus Christ, don't we? We have it so good in the grace approach. In chapter 4, Paul gives a really cool illustration showing how good we have it in the grace approach compared to how we have it in the law approach, how you would have it. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4 very carefully with me. Watch this illustration. Paul says... Now, I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Okay, so I want you to think through this with me. Here's the situation. You have a man who's extremely wealthy, Elon Musk wealthy, okay? Bill Gates wealthy. He has all this money, all this wealth, this giant estate, all this property. He has servants of bond, servants working for him in his household. He's married. They have one son. One son is born into that family. All of that inheritance belongs to that son. All of it. However, when that son is a minor, a child, he's just a trust fund baby. You're sitting on a pile of cash, but you don't even know what it is. You have no idea what that wealth is. You're the heir to all of that inheritance. But really as a minor, you're no different than another slave or servant in the household. You're still learning your ABCs. And in fact, in the wealthy families, the other servants... And nannies and guardians 
in the household would take care of the son. Discipline the son as he was growing up. Watch over him. Be a guardian to them. So you have all of this inheritance, but you're a minor. You have no access to it. But, verse 2 says, that is all true until the time appointed by the Father. So, the Father is going to appoint a time when that kid is no longer a minor. Going to appoint the time when he becomes considered a full-grown man, an adult in the family. And in Jewish culture, that would customarily happen around 15 or 16 with the bar mitzvah. It was a rite of passage. You're a man. The Romans also had their rite of passage. When a young boy went through this rite of passage, they'd give him a special toga. And he was now a man. The Greeks also had their customary rite of passage. When that happens... There's a change. Now the son is fully grown, an adult. And now he acts, he has absolute access to all that wealth. He controls the wealth. He enjoys the wealth. So you see see the situation here. A son who's a minor is under servants. No access to the wealth. When the son becomes a man, fully grown, has access to all the wealth. Okay, watch how Paul uses that illustration. Verse 3. Even so we, most likely we Jews, Paul is speaking to Jewish people, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time, the appointed time of the Heavenly Father, when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So are you following the illustrations? Paul's talking about what Israel went through. Israel, under the law... We're like miners sitting on a pile of cash, learning their ABCs with no access to the wealth. At the appointed time of the Heavenly Father, he acted and made a change. What did he do? He sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. You know the story of Christ. He went, fulfilled the law. And then he redeemed us from the law. How? By dying on the cross for our sins and rising again. And so now if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you enter into the mature inheritance. Now, you become royal. You enter into all the wealth in the family of God. By keeping the law? No. Here's what you look like under the law. Na 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 na. A baby on a pile of cash not knowing what it is. Under faith, you're a king and you're a queen in the royal family of God. beautiful. This is who you are through faith in Jesus Christ. And I love it. It spells it out there. Verse 6, he says, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. The, the blessings keep coming. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you place your faith in him, you become like a full-grown adult child, son, daughter in the family of God. 
God sends the Spirit into your heart. So now you have the Holy Spirit living in you. The Spirit in you enables you to say to your, your, your father, Abba, Father. Abba is this term of, of great intimacy. It's like calling God Daddy. You enter into a relationship with God. And not only, as it says there, are you a son, but you become an heir of God through Christ. All through faith. This is Christmas season. We're getting ready to celebrate Christmas. And as Christmas, we know that Jesus at the right time came into this world. And he did what it takes to make it possible for us to be saved through faith. And you got all these gifts under the tree that are given to you when you place your faith in Christ Jesus. Become a child of God. You're joined to Christ, baptized into his death and resurrection. You put on Christ. You're justified. You're the spiritual seed of Abraham. You enter into a family that's based on complete equality. You're not just a little child. You're an adult son. You're under his grace. You're an heir of God. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. And you have an intimate relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. All yours. Through faith. Not works. Not keeping a law. That's the miracle. So, Paul had shared all this with those folks in Galatia. They had given their lives to Christ. And then you had these false teachers come in. The Judaizers. And they come in and they say, Nope, you got to go back to the law. And the people in the church in Galatia were buying it. They were going back into the law. And so now Paul, as as, as you just read, we'll read this very quickly. I just want you to notice how distraught he is by this. How he's so frustrated. In verse 8, he says, But then, indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are no gods. But now, after you've known God, or rather are known by God. I love that little detail. If you're a Christian, it's not that you know God. It's that you're really known by God. You're part of him. But now, after you've known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You've not injured me at all. You know, Paul's like, why? Why turn back? How could you? Before you came to God, you were in all these elementary games with your little gods, trying to please your gods. I came along, I told you the truth. You got saved. And now you go back to all these beggarly things. You go back into this bondage. You're observing days? Here you have a relationship with God by the power of the Holy Spirit and you're running around in life worried about days? He's distraught. And by the way, Paul would be distraught and I believe the Holy Spirit would be distraught with any one of his people that get caught up in the beggarly ways of keeping laws and rules and regulations. And that's the whole thing about your walk. It's not that. Verse 13, very interesting detail. He goes, you know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, 
You did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? This is a really interesting deed. You know, Paul was a great Christian missionary, but you do know that he was physically sick and ill most of his ministry. In fact, it's called the thorn in the flesh. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. And many people think it had something to do with his eyesight. I find this fascinating that he was struggling with that way at the beginning on his first missionary journey. His first missionary journey. He went into the region of Galatia. He was sick. He was struggling. Some people even believe that Paul in his sickness, kind of became disfigured. Oftentimes you'll see paintings of Paul also kind of humped over. The man had severe physical issues. And you remember Paul at one point said, three times I prayed, God, take this away. But God did not take it away. Instead, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. Just so you know, just because you're a minister, and it doesn't mean that, that life is, is real easy. There can be very difficult things. Paul, with all that, for his whole life, still did what God had commanded him to do. Now you think about that. So Paul says, remember when I came? I was struggling. I shared the gospel with you. You guys didn't reject me. You accepted me. You were so blessed. In fact, you loved me. In fact, you loved me so much that you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. In other words, remember when I came and I told you and remember the fellowship we entered into? I'm still telling that same truth. How could you possibly think that I'm the enemy? How could you? Why turn back? Well, you know, it was those false teachers. And so look what Paul says about those false teachers in verse 17. They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I labored in birth again until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Look at his. Paul says, the false teachers are exploiting you. The false teachers are zealously courting you. They're manipulating you. Not for any good. They want to exclude you from the truth. The false teachers want you to be zealous for them. And they're exploiting you. And I'm just going to say, there are still a lot of false teachers out there. And I, I, I believe that if you were to pull the veil off the motive behind most false teachers, it's money. They want you to be, they want to control you. They, they want you to buy their books. They want you to buy their little system. That's what the false teachers wanted in those days. Paul says you're letting them exploit you. Be so careful. Beware of anyone who has their secret. Here's my secret religious idea. And for $99.99, just sign up on my YouTube page. And I guarantee you, most fall teachers are completely entrenched in the law approach. 
Here's the system. Follow me. Paul says, don't let those guys exploit you. God has done such a good work in your life. Be zealous, but be zealous for the right thing. Paul says, I love Paul's heart here. He says, I labor. I labor. I long to see Christ formed in you. That's why Paul lived. To see Christ formed in people. To preach the gospel. You get saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And you walk by faith in Jesus Christ. In the power of the Holy Spirit. And the whole point of the Christian life is to grow. So that Christ is formed in you. You become more and more like Jesus. It's not by living a law. It's living in a dynamic relationship with him. Living under the law. You'll, you'll be defeated. You'll be joyless. So a few years ago, when I turned 50, my beautiful bride bought me an Apple Watch. And I didn't want an Apple Watch, but she just spoiled me with an Apple Watch. And there was a little feature on the Apple Watch that I, I really got to like. It's the activity Thing And this is sort of a way to monitor your health. Okay, so let me explain this to you. And this, you'll see this on your watch if you have an Apple Watch. The outer ring is the number of calories that you burn by moving in something that's, you know, requires exercise. And I set a goal that I would burn 590 calories a day like that every day. The inner ring is the activity ring, the exercise ring. Now, this is where you literally turn it on when you're going to exercise. So you got 30 minutes was my goal. So if I'm going to close that ring on a day, I got to exercise 30 minutes. You with me? Then you have the inner blue ring. And that one's the easiest. That one says you got to at least stand for one minute in 12 different hours during the day. Okay, so make sure that you're not sitting down too long. You've stood up at least, you know, once an hour for 12 hours in the day. So if you do that, you're closing the rings. Well, I got taken with that baby. I got real excited about that. In fact, I got obsessed with it. On Monday, December 30th, 2019, that's almost three years ago, I woke up that morning and I, I completed all those rings. And I ended up doing it for the whole week. And I got to thinking, I'm going to do this every day. I'm going to close all three of those rings every day. That's my goal. I get obsessive like this. It's weird. And for the last three years of my life, I've been trying to close those rings. And for the last three years of my life, I have closed those rings. I closed those rings all the way through 2020. I closed those rings when I had COVID. I made myself get up out of bed and do these little exercises so I could close these rings. I did it. Well, something really, really, really tragic just happened to me. On Friday, November 25th, the day after Thanksgiving. I did my little exercise. I did my 30 minutes But it was a light exercise, I'm going to have to admit. So I didn't get a whole lot of calories in the move, the red. I did my 12 stands. I knew I was running short. I knew I had to get that outer ring. But I'd had turkey, you see. (laughs) And I got real tired. You know what makes you tired? And I went to bed early. Actually, I didn't even go to bed. I think I fell asleep on the sofa. And I woke up 
at about 1220, horrified. I looked at my outer ring. I didn't complete it. 578 calories out of 590. So after 1,064 straight days, I blew it. After 152 straight weeks, I blew it. After four weeks short of three years, I blew it. And I will tell you, that is exactly what it's like living under a law. You give it all you got. I think 1,064 days. I think that's pretty impressive. I, I deserve like a medal or something for that. But no, when you live under the law, you got to close every ring every day for the rest of your life. And, and I got to be honest with you. I learned how to cheat. I did. I discovered that um, you didn't actually have to stand every hour. If you just let your, your you could sit down. And if you let let your hand do this for a minute, boom, you get, you get, a, you get a click. And so that, that describes how I was able to stand up every hour when I was on road trips for eight hours. You, every hour. I also started to do these ridiculous exercises. I mean, they, these weren't Heavy, I mean, I, was, I didn't take my watch off and put it on a dog and let it run around or anything like that. For, I didn't do one of those things. But I would turn on that exercise button when I was shopping. Or when I was on the golf course, you know, riding in that cart. <laughs> tough exercise. So you know what I did? In many ways, I played the system. I cheated. And for 1,064 days, I kind of walked around like this all day. I was in bondage. And you know what else? I sort of lost the joy of just exercising. Just going to the gym, doing it so you'd feel good. It became this obsessive thing with me. Don't let that happen to to you and your walk with Jesus Christ. Don't let your Christian life become, I'm going to close the rings. I'm going to keep all these rules. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to determine. No, you weren't made for that. You're under grace. And you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And you're in a relationship with Christ. It's living. It's dynamic. You have the power of the Holy Spirit inside you. Your life as a Christian is getting to know Christ better, walking with him, depending upon the Holy Spirit. It's not that. It's not that. It's not that. May your goal, may your target as a Christian always be, I'm walking with Jesus. I'm getting to know him better. And as you grow in him, and you'll live way better than you ever could have lived under any kind of law. Let's close with a word of prayer. Close your eyes with me.
Father, why would we be willing to settle for so much less than what you have for us? Lord, you didn't die on the cross so that we could keep rules. You died on the cross so that we could be changed. I mean, truly changed, Lord, from the inside out. You've given us a relationship with you. So help us. Help us not to let it become something other than that. Lord, I pray that we would live in the joy that we have of knowing you. I do pray that we would live lives that are honoring and pleasing to you. By the power of your spirit. Help us, Lord. Heads bowed, eyes closed. You know, if you're here tonight and and the Christian life has become sort of dry to you, become, you know, all this effort and hard work, It's become a law thing. You need it to go back to a relationship. Personal walk with Christ. Return to that. Everything that you do for the Lord should be done out of relationship. And out of thanksgiving. If you're here tonight, listening online, and you've been trying to be religious, you've been trying to walk that staircase, do the best you can, be the best person you can be, hopefully God will let me in. Nobody gets in that way. It's because of what God did, what Jesus did at the cross for you, that you have a chance. So if you have not surrendered, if you've not gotten on those knees, bowed, cried out to God for grace and mercy, do that right now, just in the quietness of your heart. Lord, I give my life to you. I place my faith and trust in you. Change me, fill me with your spirit. Make me brand new. Fill me with joy that... The joy of knowing you and living for you. In Jesus' name, amen.